Hey friends, Dan Schreiner here with the Disciple Henson Podcast. This week we got Brad Hornback, who is a member of our church. He owns his own state farm agency. He uh, mentioned that he's bummed that it won't be Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl this year. At least he's got Patrick Mahomes representing for State Farm. Anyways, Brad and his wife Kristen began attending Hinson around summer 2019, I believe. Kristen starts work at First Image over at the Annex next week. Uh, Brad and Kristen have three kids. Well, you'll hear more about Brad and his story, how he went from playing football to tearing phone books in half for Jesus in this uh, episode. I hope you're encouraged in greater faithfulness and evangelism by listening. Enjoy. Brad Hornback, welcome to the Disciple Instant Podcast. Thanks Thank for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think this may be the earliest. It's it's nine o'clock on a Monday morning. It feels earlier. I think this might be one of our earlier recording sessions, but we've got our coffee. Oh, yeah. I think you're also one of the biggest guys that we've had here on the <laughs> podcast. Um, Brad, uh, the the goal today, I want, I want the church, uh, those who listen, to get to know you a little bit, to uh, hear your story, hear your testimony, mm-hmm. and also to hear about uh, Lifted in Faith, um, your ministry, uh, but at that as a jumping off point to talk about evangelism and mm-hmm. some of the things God's taught you over the years. But let's start with, where are you from, Brad? Uh, I am from Gresham, Oregon. I grew up in Gresham, uh, left in 2001 and spent 16, 17 years in Texas and Louisiana, and then we just moved back here in January of 2018. Okay, okay. And tell us a little bit about your family. How many kids? Who are you married to? Uh, married to Kristen, 16 and a half years, and we have three kids. Addie is 11, Walker is 8, and Holden is 5. And your kids are at Paideia? Uh, Addie's there. Addie's at Paideia. Addie's at Paideia. Walker is uh, homeschooling right now. Okay. And Holden um, goes to a therapy center in Beaverton. Okay. Excellent. Um, what about your background, Brad? Did you grow up in a Christian family? I did. Uh, both of my parents actually met uh, while they were serving in full-time Christian ministry. Campus Crusade for Christ? Campus Crusade for Christ called uh, Crew. Crew now. Crew now, I yeah. believe, yeah. Um, they were both full-time members of that organization. They met in Hawaii. Uh, I'm not sure why they left <laughs> exactly, but um, uh, yeah, that's when they met, got married, so grew up in a Christian home in, um, you know, in Gresham. I, I don't remember. I think they lived in Hawaii one year before moving to Oregon. So were they on campus at a, like at a university or school in, in Oregon while you were growing up, or what was their ministry like? Uh, no, they, by the time I was born, they weren't, neither one of them were still with crusade. Yeah. I think they, um, I think when they moved to Oregon, actually that, that changed. I don't think they stayed with campus crusade once they got to Oregon correctly. Yeah. But you grew up going to church. I did. Hearing the gospel. Um, I wouldn't say that necessarily, you know, I, I don't really recall. I mean, I was pretty young, you know, at the time, um, we were, in a few different churches. And I remember going to church regularly. That was, you know, kind of a thing we did Sundays, Wednesdays, things like that. But, uh-huh. um, I don't really recall ever hearing a lot of clear, you know, or concise gospel messages. I think it's one of those things where, you know, just growing up in that environment, it just kind of became the norm or things I was used to doing just kind of as a routine, you know, more than anything else. Sure. Sure. So tell us a little bit about your childhood and teen years. Uh, what were you into? I mean, you're going to church and maybe youth group and stuff, 
but um, you're a big guy. You played sports. Is that was that kind of your identity? Yeah, it was sports in you know the kind of junior high and high school years. Um, started playing football in tenth grade. Okay, and that quickly became my main um, main sport or uh, avenue. Um, a lot of my friends were football players as well. Okay, um, played hockey as well. Uh, did track at high school. So what high school did you go to? Uh, Barlow High School out in Gresham. Okay, so you played football there. I did. Okay, nice. And then you went on to East Texas Baptist and played football there. Were you on a football scholarship for that, or what brought you to to Texas? Yeah. Um, so I actually i I played one year at Portland State after okay. high school. Okay. Um, I went there for one year and um, didn't really like that environment and, and that setup. So ended up transferring and playing one semester at Lewis and Clark College okay. here in Portland uh-huh. and only stayed at that school one semester. Um, at that point, I left and moved back home and went to Mount Hood Community College for a year just to try to get my GPA back up and um, was dealing with a lot of different things and struggles. And um, I somehow just found East Texas Baptist University online they were a Division three school, um, which Division three can't technically give out an athletic scholarship. Gotcha. They can do some other things to help you, but it, they just can't technically give you a, a, an athletic scholarship. So um, I noticed when I found them online, they had just brought a, their football program back that year prior. I think their record was five and five, something like that. Uh-huh. So just kind of on a whim, I don't really know why. I just I emailed one of their coaches and said, "Hey, I'm looking to make a change. I've I've played here, you know, two years and." I'm looking to just get into a different environment and different school. And uh, they emailed me back and said, hey, you know, can you send us a highlight tape? And I did have one. Uh So I I mailed it down there. um, Good old VHS tape (laughs) back in 2002 or 2001, something like that. Uh, They wrote me back and said, hey, we definitely have a spot for you. You know, if you're actually serious about coming here, like we'll we'll help, you know, help you with your application and just financial aid and things like that. So, um, at that point, I was like, "Yeah, I guess, I guess I'm heading to this small rural town in Texas to play for this small school." And um, you know, looking back now, I can see God was, in, you know, involved in all that and, and leading and directing those things. I wasn't a believer at the time. Okay, um, I was going to ask what was kind of going on with you spiritually during those kind of late high school, early college years. Yeah, I, I mean, there was there wasn't really anything in my life that would um, characterize those years as following or seeking the Lord, anything like that. I mean, it was you know, sports just kind of dominated everything. And okay. I wasn't going there because it was a, a, a Christian school or private institution. It just gotcha. kind of worked out with the the football side of it. Were you still going to church on Sundays? Um, not so much when I was in college. I mean, I was, yeah. when I was at Lewis and Clark, I was living in the dorm and I, okay. didn't, I didn't have a car on okay. campus. So, uh-huh. um, not really. Yeah. Um, you know, I was pretty, pretty far away and removed from that type of thing at that point. Okay. But, um, I was ready to just make a change, and sure. I was just trying to look to go somewhere different. And my mom was from Texas, so I kind of had that little bit of connection and thought Texas sounded good. And, um, you know, it wasn't really something I can look back and say I thought through real well. It was kind of just like, hey, here's an opportunity. I'm going to go. Let sure. Do it. So you land there in Texas, you're playing football, uh, and that's where you meet Kristen. Yes. How did you meet Kristen? Um, she also was a transfer in. She went okay. to... Uh, I think it's a, a community college up in Denton, Texas, which is near Dallas mm-hmm. uh, for one year. And then she transferred in to East Texas Baptist. So we just met through some mutual friends and, um, you know, we're friends for a few months before we um, kind of developed an interest in each other. And and she was instrumental in your life spiritually. Tell us a, l- a little bit about that. Um, yeah. So 
we uh, we started dating, I believe, towards the end of my first semester mm-hmm. at ETBU, and um, you know, she, we we did end up getting married while we were still in school. Um, got married, I believe, uh, almost two years after we met. Okay. And we each still had three semesters left of mm-hmm. college. We just we lived in the married housing dorm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talking about it now and, and looking back, I think what she would say is she just probably assumed since I was at that school that I was a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, we never really had a lot of conversations about it, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was clear that something was missing. I mean, we were what the Bible would refer to as unequally yoked. So that started to show itself more, you know, after we got married and, um, so you got, you think you got married and you weren't a Christian? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Carry on. She, she was, but I wasn't. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we graduated three semesters after we got married mm-hmm. and both, you know, we're working and, um, NFL aspirations. No, Okay. <laughs> no, uh, you know, we, church was something we were just kind of used to doing, you know, and some of our friends, you know, went to church as well. So it was, it was more just kind of the thing, the routine to do for me versus anything else. And, um, you know, I was dealing with a lot of different issues and struggles and, uh, to make a long story short, you know, after a few years and we were living in Louisiana, there was a a church that, you know, we were attending regularly. I, I don't think we were members officially, um, but God used that pastor of that church just to reach out to me and, uh, kind of just show a special interest in me and talk to me on a few different occasions and share the gospel with me. Mm. And that's when I became a Christian. I was 25 at the time. And, uh, you know, that's when a lot of things really drastically changed for us. Wow. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Well, maybe I remembered incorrectly from when we were chatting before, Brad, but was didn't was it Kristen or was it that pastor who said to you at one point, like, not like in a mean way, but like, I don't think you're saved. Um, or am I yeah, it, not so remembering? It was, uh, you know, in, in having conversations with the pastor and just talking through um, just some of the things I was struggling with and dealing with, um, I was looking at it more on a surface level. Uh-huh. And, and in some of those conversations, he made a comment, you know, I think really, you know, what the, the root of this problem is, is you don't, you don't know the Lord. You don't have a relationship oh, with Christ. Okay. And then it was after... You know, I came to Christ is when Kristen was, you know, said, "Hey, I've been praying for you for a while that you would, mm. um, you know, that you would come to know the Lord." That's so sweet. That wasn't something I knew before then, but it was something that she had recognized after we got married. That makes sense. And was just praying, you know, for that to happen. So a lot of things kind of going on behind the scenes that I wasn't even aware of at the time. Sure. And did uh, did you and did Kristen see a change in your life um, there after you were converted? Yeah, it was it was pretty sudden and pretty drastic. Um, you know, I think the most notable things that were taking place was I all of a sudden had a strong interest and desire to um, to go to church, to be a part of a, a church, to be active, to um, to try to grow that relationship. And before it was just non-existent. You know, if if, if I was either pretending like I wanted to, or it was just something, like I said, I did because of routine. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of a sudden, that desire to read and study my Bible and learn and grow closer to God was there. And it wasn't something that I did myself. It was, you know, that change that God, you know, does when somebody is is converted. It's Mm -hmm. it's that supernatural change where he 
gives you a new heart. Um, and you know, that's, it's evidenced by things that, that happen. So yeah, it was, it was a really sudden thing and just a, kind of a quick 180 for me as far as just what my life looked like. Praise God. Yeah. And Kristen saw that change as well yes. in, in you. Yes. Yeah. So encouraging. Um, what, so you were in Louisiana at the time when you became a Christian, yes. you, that's the pastor you were meeting with there at a church there. Right. Um, what were you doing for like work after college? Um, originally, so I was an intern for Enterprise Rent-A-Car my last, uh, the summer before I graduated in my last semester. Okay. And, uh, upon graduating, they had offered me a full-time position. Okay. So I just started working for them. Okay. Um, I worked for that company for, I think, four years after graduating. I gotcha. And Kristen was working for Chase Bank at the time. Okay. And, uh... So this is where I kind of want to start talking about Lifted in Faith mm-hmm. and that ministry that uh, that you became a part of, mm-hmm. that you kind of started. Right. Um, but uh, did, did that start there in Louisiana? Yes. Okay. So tell us how you got from Enterprise to Lifted in Faith, like, and, and also in terms of your faith journey. Sure. Yeah. Um, I left Enterprise shortly after coming to Christ, okay. and I began working in the oil and gas industry. Okay. It's big out in northwest Louisiana. Uh-huh. Um, I worked for a valve manufacturer for two years, and then I left that company and went to work for a distributor and just worked in inside sales for, uh, I believe, seven years before moving back to Oregon. Um, Lifted in Faith started, I believe, um, after I left Enterprise. I was just working for the valve manufacturer, and... Uh, again, I was a new Christian, new believer, and um, didn't really have any friends at that time who were also Christians. So kind of just starting down this new path and new journey, um, God was very kind, and he, he brought some good friends into my life from church. Uh, and these were some guys that we just started training together and lifting weights together. That was kind of a common interest we had, and so that was a, a quick friendship that was formed. How much could you bench? Uh, <laughs> you don't have to answer that I question. I just felt like time. I need yeah. to ask <laughs> yeah. that question. I'm not sure, um, but uh, one of the one of our one of the guys, the friends, he had a uh, his whole garage was a gym. Okay, and um, this guy is a ex um, army special forces drill sergeant, and just you know was really into different you know things like working out, and so he. Uh, he ran a workout almost every day in his garage and me and some other guys started coming to his house almost every day and lifting weights. And was it like CrossFit style? Like he had like the workout on a whiteboard or something, the, no, the, the it, wad. Was, it was just, lifting. just it, lifting. It wasn't really the, the crazy cardio things I gotcha. that those people do. Yeah. It yeah. was just, just lifting weights. So, uh-huh. um, you know, we had a shared interest in that and just through the workouts and different things, you know, we would sometimes, I don't really know how it happened, but we would just think, you know, hey, let's we we would maybe see or hear or watch a YouTube video and see somebody um, tearing a phone book in half and to kind of pump you up before your workouts, you'd like try to find these inspirational. <laughs> no, not of like strength. That. Okay. I don't remember how we came across it, but yeah, um, somehow we were, you know, we we were thinking, hey, we you know we have above average strength, so let's mm-hmm. see if we can do that. Hmm. And, um, you know, I, again, I don't really remember exactly how it all happened, but we, we started trying some of those things and realized, Hey, we can, we can do these things too. And, uh, what tell us about the first time you ripped a phone book in half. Were you surprised? <laughs> the first time I tried, I think it, it didn't, it didn't happen. You um, only got to while. like the C's. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
No, it, it didn't. Uh, it, it just gradually happened over time. So Lifted in Faith actually started by um, the person, the, the friend of ours, Billy, who owned the garage. We, we started holding a workout on Saturday and um, a lot of high school and some college age, you know, kids would come and we would kind of show them how to work out. And then we would do, we would hold a Bible devotion. Oh, nice. Um, and, you know, and we were new believers. I mean, we were just, we were trying to do the best we could and just use whatever, you know, talents or abilities that God had given us just as a, a way to try to reach out to other people. Um, didn't have a lot of direction or anything like that, but we were just trying to do what, what we thought was best. Um, so we did that for a while, and then um, eventually, you know, we got some calls from schools or different, you know, places saying, "Hey, you know, we've heard about your, we've heard about you guys, and we know, you know, we've heard that you can break baseball bats or tear phone books. Um, could you come and do an assembly at our school and use some of these things and talk to uh, the high school kids about making wise choices or uh, maybe do like an anti-bullying assembly?" We had some churches ask us to partner with them and do some outreach events and things like that. So um, we didn't really know what we were doing, but we just said yes. And all of a sudden, things just kind of took off from there. And that's that's really how Lifted in Faith started. And Lifted in Faith is still an organization. You're a 501c3. It is. We're, we're technically inactive right now. I mean, it's been a few years since we've done anything. But yeah, we, we became a 501c3 a year or two after starting because we had... We started to travel um, all over the U.S. We traveled internationally. We've been on. Uh, we've been to four different countries to do events over there. So, wow. um, everything we did was just donation based. We raised our own support to okay. cover travel costs, to cover materials, things like that. Never charged a fee for what we did, but um, being donation based, we needed to get our five hundred one c three just so we could, you know, make sure everything was above board. Um, I want to talk about uh, the message mm-hmm. um, that you were speaking at these and and also how that changed and sure. kind of what was going on with you in terms of your theology your spiritual formation uh but i want to i do have to ask a few questions just for fun uh well first just uh in terms of timeline and interest so did you quit the oil and gas industry uh sale, sales you said job that you were doing in order to do lifted in faith no, but, no. I, was, I was in inside sales i i always um throughout those five, six years that we were really doing Lifted in Faith, I was always working. Um, I, I did kind of cut back some of the hours at some point because I was working more in the ministry part-time as well, but I was never I was never full in full-time ministry where I didn't have a, a secular job as well. I gotcha. Um, and uh, is, do you have any good stories, like um, best feat of strength, or is there any like did anybody ever get hurt in one of the presentations, like with, uh, you know, you break your hand on a cinder block or something? Yeah. Uh, no, we were very fortunate. Um, you know, it, at the peak of the ministry, we had, I think, seven guys on the team, counting myself. Okay. Um, one guy was kind of more into the bodybuilding um, as a hobby, and the rest of us were competitive powerlifters. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, with thinking of all the different types of things we did and feats of strength. We were very fortunate. We never had a serious injury. Okay. Um, we did, you know, have some, you know, some minor things. Uh, we were doing a, a prison crusade in South Carolina. Uh, I believe this was around 2014. It was a two week trip where we were covering 10 or 11 different prisons during that time. And we were not only doing our ministry, but we had partnered with a, another sports related prison ministry. So we were going in each prison, playing basketball against the inmates, softball, um, and then also doing our presentation. And unfortunately, one of our team members during a basketball game ruptured his Achilles. Oh, so that yeah. was probably the most serious thing. It didn't happen 
Doing directly it. in our ministry. Uh-huh. Um, but that was really the only, you know, serious thing that I can think of that ever happened, just besides the normal, you know, bruises and scrapes, things like that. Sure. What was your best lift or your best, you know, th- what was your like specialty? It's like Brad's going to come out and kind of do his, <laughs> uh, his thing. Yeah. So each guy on the team kind of had something that was there, you know, it was one feat of strength, I guess you could say that only they would do or only they could do. Okay. Um, so for example, we had a guy on our team that just had incredibly strong hands. Um, and he would take two decks of cards and stack them together and he could actually tear them in half behind his back. Wow. So that was his thing. Um, mine actually, and I don't know how this happened, but mine became blowing up one of those old school rubber hot water bottles. Uh, so just blowing it up like a balloon till it popped, they would, you know, sometimes just get massive and huge, uh, probably by far the most dangerous feat of strength that we would do. It used to be something they did in the strongman competitions and I believe they uh, removed it because there was a fatality at some point. Okay. So somehow that became my, (laughs) my feat of strength that I would do. Um, so your lungs are kind of your your most powerful that's your your superpower it was it was lungs and just uh just holding the bottle became heavier as it got bigger oh okay so, uh, okay just kind of an all-around uh you know it used everything i gotcha and um the worst part of it it would you know i never did it without wearing goggles but when it would blow it when it would explode it would you know lacerate your face your oh gosh. Neck, your chest things like that so um had some pretty nice bruises that that came from that but yeah uh, yeah, it's it's that was that was kind of my the thing that I would uh, my my signature feat, I guess you could say. I would like to see that sometime, or at least see a video. <laughs> I, I might be retired from that. Okay, <laughs> there's probably videos out there somewhere. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the message. And sure. you and I have talked about this yeah. uh, before, but I think this would be uh, really instructive and helpful for us just to think about uh, kind of no matter where we come from in the Christian walk. You, you're, you're a relatively new Christian. Mm-hmm. You're, you're into lifting. Uh, you, you know, you start. You know, you have the beginning of this ministry. Um, tell us about, like, I don't know if you can give us the like two to four minute version. Well, two, two, two to four minute version of what you preached initially, mm-hmm. and particularly compare and contrast that with what the what the message became because of some of the convictions you came under in terms sure. of studying God's word. Yeah. So like you said, I, I was a new believer, you know, doing this and didn't didn't have a lot of um didn't have any, you know, theological instruction or training. Um was just trying to do what I thought was bit just, you know, by by sharing and 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 uh trying to take that message and get it in front of people the best I knew how. So um as a new believer, you know, when we started this, all of a sudden I was thrust kind of into a position where I'm, I'm speaking and preaching to other people. And what we did, you know, on the team, our, our approach was basically just to kind of model what we had seen other people do. So I'd been to different events where maybe an evangelist was brought in or, you know, even a team like similar to ours. And, um, you know, the, the style of preaching was more kind of based on, uh, emotions and feelings and, uh, you know, kind of the approach was whatever, do whatever you can do to elicit a response from people. 
um, whether that was getting them to just raise their hand or, you know, repeat some kind of prayer or get up out of their seat and walk forward during an altar call. Um, kind of like the end justifies the means. So whatever you need to do or say or however you need to kind of play on people's emotions, just do whatever it takes to get that response. Would you, because you're so strong, would you ever threaten people <laughs> that you would hurt them? We, we never resorted to, to physical threats. That's cons- uh, encouraging. Um but yeah, so that was just kind of how we did it. And we, I would say for six to nine months, I mean, we were going around to different places, you know, whether it was a church related event or community event, you know, prison and, um, you know, and we, we saw a lot of people respond and, um, you know, looking back now, I mean, we, we really weren't giving a, a full or complete gospel message. It was just, it was more just kind of, um, you know, service related things or things related to our testimony or what God had done in, in our lives, and then trying to um, relate those to uh, the audience that we were preaching to. So, you know, looking back, I, uh, I wish we wouldn't have done some of those things. You know, we weren't purposely trying to mislead anybody or anything like that. We were, we were trying to do what we, you know, we, we thought we were really, you know, doing uh, what we thought was best. Um, but missing kind of that really deeper understanding of just doctrine and theology and um, knowing things about God and, and just the gospel and how that works, you know, that was that was definitely a missing piece in the early stages of our ministry. So if there was two things that, um, obviously, we know God is sovereign and He uses, you know, even when we we screw up or when, you know, we will have good intentions, you wanted to see people come to, to Christ. Right. But you would say that you're, as you look back, Kind of an incomplete gospel was one, sure. one kind of problem, and the the second problem would maybe be just the the methodology in terms of trying to kind of uh, play on people's emotions and your influence as uh, mm-hmm. in order to elicit a response. Right. I think we 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 viewed it more as it was kind of up to us to to get that response from people. So we were relying on our not only just our strength but also our our human ability to um, to get people to indicate some kind of decision or response. And fortunately, you know, that was maybe six or nine months in the early stages, and the ministry was really starting to expand and grow, and we were getting invitations to travel all over the, the world, basically. Um, and around that time, I, you know, I was, so I was in a position where, um, you know, I had come across some, some good... Uh, books, some good sermons, and just through studying God's Word on my own and just growing as a believer, um, God really showed me um, some things pertaining to just evangelistic efforts and ministry and really kind of came to a deeper understanding of, of how these things work, that it's it's not, uh, the, the gospel is not something that's dependent on man or dependent on our efforts or how hard we try or how hard we preach or certain things we say or to try to elicit a, a response. It's, it's God alone who saves. Like you said, he's sovereign. So it shifted very quickly as I was coming to this deeper theological understanding of, hey, you know, we're, we're just instruments that God uses. He doesn't need us. Um, but, you know, here's a platform that we have to share the gospel. And as far as how people respond to it, whether they reject it or whether they respond to it, whether they embrace it, all of that is is his doing, you know, and he's the one that gets the credit for it. And just we're just we just happen to be maybe the instrument that he uses to proclaim the gospel to people. So Amen. that was a very um, that was a very relieving thing to to understand and to come to that you know to that understanding. And it drastically changed the way that we conducted our ministry. It drastically changed the way that we 
um, you know, our, the message that we preached and then just, you know, whether how we viewed whether an event was successful or not. So, um, now take just, a, you know, a couple minutes to then say, you know, most recently think back to maybe the, the last time that you did an event, um, how was, how was the message different? So, so you, you told an interesting story before we went on the air um, about uh, meeting with the church, and mm-hmm. you kind of explained what you guys were going to do, and you said you weren't going to give like an altar call or an invitation per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, the, and the preacher asked, how are people going to get saved? Mm-hmm. And, and tell us a little bit about like what you told maybe that preacher or that pastor and uh, and how you were you were still inviting people to come to Christ, yeah. Um, but um, make kind of make that distinction clear to us. Sure. Yeah. So the biggest change, you know, like I said before, was we we felt like we really had to kind of seal the deal at the end and just elicit some kind of physical response from people. And um, you know, when when we shifted and changed from that, we you know, I we we did not cease to call people to Christ and to, um, you know, to urge people to, to respond to the gospel. Uh, but the methodology drastically changed. So, um, specifically kind of how that changed, um, you know, our, our gospel message was more centered on God versus, you know, even just our testimony or things that were individual to our experiences or our feelings or our emotions. So we would really talk to people about, hey, you know, what does the Bible say who God is? Um, God is, you know, sovereign. God is the creator. God is the one who spoke everything into existence. God's not limited in any form or capac- uh, capacity. God, God can do whatever he pleases, and that's what the Bible says. Um, also, you know, what is God like? What is his nature and character? So he's, he's loving, and he's kind, and he's compassionate, and he's forgiving. Um, and the Bible also says he's holy, and he's justice, and he's righteous. Um, so knowing those things about God and then understanding, you know, think of chapters like Romans 3 of how the Bible describes us, uh, you know, we would really focus on what, you know, what does God do with people like us? How, how does he maintain his holiness and his righteousness and his justice and yet still welcome guilty sinners like you and me into his presence? And this is why the cross of Jesus Christ is so important. It's understanding, you know, what took place, um, you know, with that sacrifice. What was the significance of it? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And it was satisfying the the wrath of a holy and righteous God. It was it was that substitutionary atoning death that He made for guilty sinners. This is how God can be both just and merciful. He's just because He's poured out His wrath on sin. He, he cast He poured all of that down on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, and He can still be merciful and welcome guilty sinners into His presence because of that atoning work on the cross. And then, what is our response to the gospel? You know, it's it's really summed up in two words: it's repentance and faith. Um, so we would focus on those things more than just, hey, what can we do to get somebody to, to raise their hand or to, you know, to respond or to say a prayer, things like that. So um, our focus as a ministry was really, hey, we want to make sure anytime we have an, an opportunity or an event, we want to give a clear, concise gospel presentation. We want to make sure that we're honoring God in the way that we conduct ourselves and present it. And then really the results are just left up to God. So we would have times of invitation where we would... Um, we would sit and just open up God's word with people after the event, and they might have questions or just want to know more. And we would just try to counsel them directly out of God's word. Um, we would pray for them. We would talk to them about, hey, you know, when you're responding to the gospel, here's some things you're going to see. You're going to have new desires. Um, just like me, when I was saved at 25, those 
those desires that I had changed drastically. And I had now a hunger for obedience to God's word and a desire to, um, to certain, you know, to, to be involved in a church and to grow and to learn. And some people, you know, those things sometimes take longer for others, um, for some people, but that's, these are just things that you'll see. These are evidence of God's work in your life, that sanctifying work. So, um, yeah, it, it changed a lot. And, and we had times where, you know, I, like I said earlier, I, I was meeting with, uh, a staff of a large church in Louisiana and there was an event on the calendar that we were going to do. And I was meeting with the staff just to go over the details of the event that was coming up. And, they were great. They were on top of everything, just wanting to make sure all the materials were ready for us. And that was really kind of the purpose of the meeting. And at the end, um, the pastor, the head pastor of the church asked me, he said, Brad, how, you know, so w- when you're done giving, you know, your, uh, the gospel presentation, how, how are you going to do the invitation? And I said, you know, we we're really, we're really not going to give one, you know, we're just, we're going to give a clear message. And when we're done, we're going to make sure that people know that we're going to stay around and that we're, we'll be happy to talk with people or visit with people and, and help any way they can and um, provide any you know counseling or guidance. And I remember the you know the comment he made to me. He said, "What well, if, if you're not going to give an invitation? How are people going to get saved?" Um, and again, this just goes back to my point of you know it's it's not fortunately it's it's not on us. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was, I don't know if I could bear that burden. That's that's a lot of pressure on someone to think that depending on how you say something or how powerfully you present something or, or don't present something that someone's salvation is hanging in the balance because of that. So, um, knowing that it's a very freeing thing for a preacher or for an evangel for an evangelist to understand that, Hey, I, I just need to make sure that I'm, uh, I'm preaching a biblical gospel that's clear, that's honoring to Christ. And that whatever happens because of that is, is really, it's, you know, those decisions and those, those outcomes are in God's hands. Mm-hmm. Amen. Brad, I'm so thankful for Christ's work in your life, um, for how he has revealed the, the glories of the gospel to you and how you were faithful to preach that, and, and still are, and thankful that you and Kristen and your family found Henson. And uh, I hope even this conversation is a beginning of uh, you helping our church be faithful gospel presenters mm-hmm. and proclaimers. Um, just, I, I need to let you go, but before I do, do you have any... I didn't prepare you for this, but just off the top of your head, um, well, I'll, I'll make it a little more personal. I was I was reading X four this morning mm-hmm. as I'm just spending time with the Lord, and I see the the boldness and the uh, of the apostles in proclaiming the gospel. And uh, you know, I was asking the Lord for boldness for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that and I was also at the same time a little discouraged because I was like, man, I haven't. I can't. I, I haven't shared the gospel with someone like a non-Christian and like personal one-on-one evangelism that kind of context in a little while, and uh, so I was praying also for opportunity. Mm-hmm. Any ways that you would encourage individual Christians at Hinson to be faithful and bold in evangelism, or even just as uh, you would encourage our church corporately to be faithful in evangelism? Just anything come to mind? Yeah, um, you know, and I, I echo some of the things you said, you know, I, I struggle with the same things. And, um, you know, looking back when I was more actively involved in this particular ministry, um, we, we had so many opportunities that came up even outside of the events that we were doing. Um, one thing I would encourage anybody with who is maybe struggling with that or thinking through some of those same things is to spend some time, uh, you know, studying or, or putting together a, uh, you know, a, a presentation, whether that was a two minute gospel presentation or a 10 minute. But I think what, 
hinders a lot of people sometimes. And what I hear a lot is, you know, Hey, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what to say or Mm -hmm. or how to do it, or I'm not sure how to say everything that I need to in, in, in the allotted amount of time. So spend some time preparing that. Um, it's, you know, as many opportunities as I had, it wasn't something that just came. I, I had to spend, you know, quite a bit of hours studying and just figuring out, you know, Hey, what, what do I, how do I do this when I have five minutes and, and how do I do this when I have 30 minutes or 45 minutes? Um, and like you said too, if, if you just pray and ask God, he, he's going to bring opportunities. Um, I'll, I'll share one more quick story. Um, I remember one of our trips, I, I don't honestly remember where we were going or if we were coming or going. I think we were, I think we were going to Florida for a, like a five or six day prison trip. And, uh, we flew from Shreveport to Atlanta and then the Atlanta flight was going from somewhere from Atlanta to Florida. And, one of the things that our team always would try to do would would be to take an opportunity to share with whoever we were seated next to on the airplane. Um, we usually, you know, not by choice, but we drew a lot of attention on the planes. And it was kind of one of those things where you've got three or four or five big guys getting on. And it was funny because as we were boarding the plane, I think everybody was looking at us saying, please don't let them sit next to me because, you know, we're going to take up our Little seat. Little did they know. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to take up our seat and probably half of their seat too. Yeah. Um, but that particular flight, I remember I, I was praying for an opportunity and the flight was completely full. Uh, the seat next to me was empty. It was the only empty seat on the plane. And I thought I was going to get fortunate and have two seats for the flight. But right before they closed the door, there was a lady that got on the plane I remember she stumbled down the the middle of the aisle. She was kind of knocking over, knocking, hitting people, knocking into things. And this was, you know, probably three o'clock on a Wednesday or Thursday. And she came and she, of course her seat was right next to mine. And she just kind of fell over me and like fell into her seat. And I, you know, I was talking to her. I said, Are "You okay?" And you know, she was clearly, you know, intoxicated at the time and just was mumbling some things. I wasn't wasn't really coherent in what she said and. Uh, so, you know, we plane was going to the runway and getting ready to take off. And I remember praying, I was like, I don't, I'm not sure how to talk to this person. You know, I don't know how this is even possible or what's going to happen with this. And, um, about 15 minutes later, she leaned over and she said, Hey, do you know anything about the Lord? And just, I think she, the way she phrased the question was, do you know anything about the Lord and, and what it takes for someone to go to heaven? Oh my just out of nowhere, yeah, you know? And so I, I started having a conversation with her and she was coherent and I think she kind of sobered up a little bit. And, uh, for about an hour, I got to just share some gospel truths with her and encourage her and come to find out she was on a flight, um, heading to, I think it was Florida, wherever our destination was, but she was on a flight and her mother was on life support at the time. It was going to be taken off within the next 48 hours. So she mm-hmm. knew her, her mother was about to die. Mm-hmm. Um, she had started drinking at the airport just to um, to cope with it that way, mm-hmm. and just had a lot of things going on. So mm-hmm. for about an hour, we got to visit. She promised me she would, you know, take some of the uh, literature that I gave her. Mm-hmm. I think I gave her a New Testament as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she would think about those things. You know, got to share a lot of the truths of the gospel with her. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, thinking about opportunities. I mean, if, you, if you're mm-hmm. just open to it and pray for it, I, I really mm-hmm. do believe that God will bring those, you know, across your path. Yeah. You probably don't remember her name, do you? That was a while ago. I don't. This yeah. was probably at least five years ago. Sure. Well, uh, Brad, uh, thank you for having this conversation. I trust this will encourage us to pray for opportunities to share uh, the biblical gospel with people and invite people to respond through repentance and faith in a faithful way. Uh, So again, thankful for your time. Thankful that you guys are here. Yeah, thanks for having me.